book of Mormon stories that my teacher tells to me are about the Lamanites in ancient history. Long ago, their fathers came from far across the sea, given the land if they lived righteously. Lamanites met others who were seeking liberty, and the land soon welcomed all who wanted to be free. Book of Mormon stories say that we must brothers be, given the land if we live righteously. Alma was rebellious and he fought against the right. Then one day an angel came to turn him to the light. Struck before his brethren, Alma learned humility. Then he taught in the land righteously. Don't forget Abinadi, who stood before the king. All chained up from head to toe, the gospel did he bring. If he would deny it, then the king would set him free. He was true, and he died righteously. Ammon was a missionary serving Lamanites, tending King Lamoni's sheep for several days and nights. Robbers came, he saved the sheep by fighting fearlessly. He had learned he could live righteously. Once two thousand sons of God were called to fight the foe. Marching as an army into battle, they did go. They believed that Christ the Lord, their guardian, would be. They had learned they should live righteously. Samuel the Lamanite, high on the city wall, came to warn the people, and repentant was his call. Arrows could not hit him, for a man of God was he and he taught in the land righteously. After Christ was crucified and died for you and me, he came forth to teach the truth to all who would be free. Hands were laid upon each child, he blessed them tenderly, and they lived in the land righteously. Welcome to LDS Real People Real Lives Podcast, and this is Stephanie Colvin. I will be your host. You just heard my sweet husband, Jed Colvin, too. Uh, The topic this week is the Book of Mormon, and that is what we just read right now was the hymn, Book of Mormon Stories. Growing up in the church, I always loved this uh, song, and it stuck with me, and you know what? The verses and everything that it says in there are definitely appropriate for this week's episode about the Book of Mormon, and we'll discuss the role of the Book of Mormon in the latter days today and how we can use it in our lives to bless our lives, for guidance, to continue to receive that witness of Jesus Christ and take in the doctrines and the teachings to keep us on that straight and narrow path back home to Heavenly Father Heavenly Mother, and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I've got a special treat for you later on in the episode, um, hearing from one audience member who has been such a sweet experience for me as she has reached out to me over Instagram, and she also shared her story with me and her testimony of the Book of Mormon, which I will read a little bit later. So thanks again for joining us. So one of the four volumes of scripture that's accepted by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints 
is the Book of Mormon. It's an abridgment of an ancient prophet named Mormon of the records of ancient inhabitants of the Americas. Now, it was written to testify that Jesus is the Christ. And concerning this record, the prophet Joseph Smith, who translated it by the gift and power of God, said, I told the brethren that the Book of Mormon was the most correct of any book on earth and the keystone of our religion, and a man would get nearer to God by abiding by its precepts than by any other book. So the Book of Mormon is a religious record of three groups of people who migrated from the Old World to the American continents, and these groups were led by prophets who recorded their religious and secular histories on metal plates. Um, if you look at the plates and the characters that they used, there's no way that Joseph Smith could have translated this simply on his own, especially with the limited education that he had and how busy he was providing a living and taking care of his family. Um, I actually read recently that he was able to translate seven to ten pages a day. Again, there's no way he could have done this on his own. He could only do it with divine assistance and help. So the Book of Mormon records the visit of Jesus Christ to the people in the Americas following his resurrection. Yes, he appeared to the people in the Americas, for he did not forget his other sheep. A 200-year era of peace followed that visit of Christ. And Moroni, which was the last of the Nephite prophet historians, sealed up the abridged records of these people and hid them about 421 A.D., so in 1823, the resurrected Moroni visited Joseph Smith and later delivered to him these ancient and sacred records to be translated and brought forth to the world as another testament of Jesus Christ. So once again, the heavens were open after a long apostasy. In the book of Psalms, chapter 85, verse 11, it says, The truth shall spring out of the earth. And righteousness shall look down from heaven. We know that this book came out of the earth, that it was hidden up by Moroni in the earth, and that the angel Moroni came to Joseph Smith and basically prepared him, gave him uh, you know, a message three times, and showed him where the plates were at. So you can see how, and this is something that I picked up recently in teaching seminary, um, is how the scriptures complement each other. You can find scriptures and verses from the Bible that support scripture and verses in the Book of Mormon and vice versa. So the Book of Mormon, what it was meant to do is, as it says in Moses chapter 7, And righteousness will I send down out of heaven, and truth will I send forth out of the earth. To bear testimony of mine only begotten, his resurrection from the dead, yea, and also the resurrection of all men, and righteousness and truth will I cause to sweep the earth as with a flood, to gather out mine elect from the four quarters of the earth unto a place which I shall prepare, and holy city, that my people may gird up their loins and be looking forth for the time of my coming. For there shall be my tabernacle, and it shall be called Zion, a new Jerusalem. There's so many promises in these scriptures, and he's teaching us that there's going to be a new Jerusalem. It will be called Zion, 
and that it will be here in the Americas. Um, the Book of Mormon is, and, and how it kind of ties together with the Bible, is the stick of Judah and the stick of Ephraim. In Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 15, it says, The word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Moreover, thou son of man, take thee one stick and write upon it for Judah, and for the children of Israel his companions. Then take another stick and write upon it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel his companions. And join them one to another into one stick, and they shall become one in thine hand. And when the children of thy people shall speak unto thee, saying, Wilt thou not shew us what thou meanest by these? Say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, his fellows, and will put them with him, even with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they shall be one in mine hand. And the sticks whereon thou writest shall be in thine hand before their eyes. So, you know, we've got the scriptures in the Bible, the scriptures in the Book of Mormon. They're talking about each other. And these books were meant to come together and be as one to teach us, to show us, to help pass on the doctrine and the truths. Truths that are so very important. We need to hold on to truths. I loved how... um. You know, this came about through Joseph Smith. The Book of Mormon in the Bible, as mentioned earlier, will grow together through the two sticks. In Second Nephi chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Wherefore the fruit of thy loins shall write, and the fruit of the loins of Judah shall write. And that which shall be written by the fruit of thy loins, and also that which shall be written by the fruit of the loins of Judah, shall grow together into the confounding of false doctrines and laying down of contentions and establishing peace among the fruit of thy loins and bringing them to the knowledge of their fathers in the latter days and also to the knowledge of my covenant, saith the Lord. So, you know, Heavenly Father's got everything covered. Remember, his ways are not our ways and we can truly have confidence and trust in him. And he's telling us that the Book of Mormon in the last episode um, it was Ezra Taft Benson who referred to the Book of Mormon as the Great Sifter. And in this verse from 2 Nephi chapter 3, it does talk about how it will confound false doctrines and the laying down of contentions and establish peace among the fruit. And in verse 13, it says, And out of weakness he shall be made strong in that day when my work shall commence among all my people, Unto the restoring thee, O house of Israel, saith the Lord. See, God did not forget about any of his sheep. None of them. He remembers each and every one of us. And he has everything provided for. Thought of every last detail. There is not a one of us that's been forgotten. Moving on to verse 14. And thus prophesied Joseph, saying, Behold, that seer will the Lord bless. And they that seek to destroy him shall be confounded for this promise, which I have attained of the Lord of the fruit of my loins, shall be fulfilled. Behold, I am sure of the fulfilling of this promise, and his name shall be called after me. Now, this is Joseph from Egypt talking here, and it says, once again, that's 15, verse 15, and his name shall be called after me, and it shall be after the name of his father. And he shall be like unto me, for the thing which the Lord shall bring forth by his hand, 
by the power of the Lord shall bring my people into salvation. You know, we know Joseph was born to his father and mother. And his father was Joseph. And he comes from the lineage of Joseph of Egypt. And Joseph of Egypt, because of his faith and obedience and his devotion to God, he was blessed and his seed was blessed. And so through his seed and through his posterity uh, was the restoration made through Joseph Smith back in the 1800s. In verse 16, it says, Yea, thus prophesied Joseph, I am sure of this thing, even as I am sure of the promise of Moses. For the Lord hath said unto me, I will preserve thy seed forever. You know, I just love how the scriptures teach us that we can look back at the tender mercies and all of the blessings that God has given to those who walk the earth before us and know that he has not changed. He continues to give us tender mercies, guidance, love, and blessings. And he is there for us until every single one of us has finished this time and this proving ground here on earth. In verse 17, it says, And the Lord hath said, I will raise up a Moses, and I will give power unto him in a rod, and I will give judgment unto him in writing, yet I will not loose his tongue, that he shall speak much, for I will not make him mighty in speaking, but I will write unto him my law by the finger of mine own hand, and I will make a spokesman for him. We know that Moses had a problem speaking. I think it was he had some type of stuttering. And it was his brother who was the spokesman. But Moses did an important work. And he brought about the commandments and he rescued the Israelites from enslavement to the Egyptians. In verse 18, it says, And the Lord said unto me also, I will raise up unto the fruit of thy loins, and I will make for him a spokesman. And I, behold, I will give unto him that he shall write the writing of the fruit of thy loins, and unto the fruit of thy loins, and the spokesman of thy loins shall declare it. You know, I wanted to share this section of Second um, Nephi chapter 3, because I think it's so important that we remember that the scriptures truly are a liahona for us. They guide us, they direct us, they teach us truths, and they also show God's hand and Christ's hand and their power. They have everything planned from the get-go. We have nothing to worry about. All we must do now is learn, grow, progress, and be in service to Christ and Heavenly Father in their church, to our family, to our loved ones, and continue to act on our faith and push forward. So the Book of Mormon records the visit of Jesus Christ to the people in the Americas following his resurrection and we talked about how there was 200 years of peace afterwards. And Elder Dallin H. Oaks says this about the Book of Mormon. He says, The solemn written testimony of three witnesses to what they saw and heard, two of them simultaneously and the third almost immediately thereafter, is entitled to great weight. Indeed, we know that upon the testimony of one witness, great miracles have been claimed and accepted by many religious people. And in the secular world, the testimony of one witness has been deemed sufficient for weighty penalties and judgments. Persons experienced in evaluating testimony commonly consider a witness's opportunity 
to observe an event and the possibility of his bias on the subject. Where different witnesses give identical testimony about the same event, skeptics look for evidence of collusion among them or for other witnesses who could contradict them. Now, Elder Oaks, I believe, was a judge. So he definitely knows what he's talking about, and he continues to go on. He says, measured against all of these possible objections, the testimony of the three witnesses to the Book of Mormon stands forth in great strength. Each of the three had ample reason and opportunity to renounce his testimony if it had been false or to equivocate on details if any had been inaccurate. As is well known because of disagreements or jealousies involving other leaders of the church, each one of these three witnesses was excommunicated from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints by about eight years after the publication of their testimony. All three went their separate ways with no common interest to support a collusive effort, yet to the end of their lives, periods ranging from 12 to 50 years after their excommunications, not one of these witnesses deviated from his published testimony or said anything that would cast any shadow on its truthfulness. Furthermore, their testimony stands uncontradicted by any other witnesses. Reject it one may, but how does one explain three men of good character uniting and persisting in this published testimony to the end of their lives in the face of great ridicule and other personal disadvantage? Like the Book of Mormon itself, there is no better explanation than is given in the testimony itself, the solemn statement of good and honest men who told what they saw. Witnesses are important, and the testimony of the three witnesses to the Book of Mormon is impressive and reliable. I love the law of the three witnesses. I believe in that law, and I'm grateful for this The introduction to the Book of Mormon, you know, whenever I read the introduction to the Book of Mormon, it just always pierces my heart. And the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God really talks to me and helps me to know the truthfulness of it. These men, even though they didn't stay in the church and they didn't remain faithful, they did not go back on their testimonies. And what would be, you know, if you really sit there and ask yourself, how come they didn't change their stories? How come they didn't come back? and try to say that that was false or that they didn't have those experiences or just change their stories and their testimonies. Honestly, I think it's just like Joseph Smith. When you have a divine experience and you're, you're, you know, imparted divine knowledge, it's really hard to turn your back on it and to deny it. Because when that experience happens, that truth becomes part of the fabric of your being, of your core, of your DNA. And it's so hard to deny things that you know that are utterly true. At least it is for me. And I know that there's a lot of good people out there who feel the same way, who have experienced and know truth. And and no matter what, even if it benefits you to lie, you just can't. Um, There was nothing worldly that they would have gained by changing their story. But they did get a lot of flack and persecution for the witness testimony statements, and yet they still didn't change it. 
oftentimes I really think to myself, like, how much proof do people need? How much knowledge and witnesses and testimonies do they need of the Book of Mormon? And some people just cannot get past their own minds, their own learned mind, and rely on, you know, in part to their spiritual side, to their spirit and the language of the spirit and the testimony that comes from the spirit. You know, I know there's a lot of people that really struggle with that. If their faith is not tangible and something that they can see, feel, hear, um, they just, it's very difficult for them. And yet we know that when the spirit of God testifies to us, we can feel it in our hearts and minds. And, um, you know, we're thankful. I'm very thankful that I have a tender and receptive spirit to truth and to the Holy Ghost when the Holy Ghost is teaching me. Um, my husband's that way too. But doing our board missionary calling, I have run into, you know, a few people that just cannot get past what I call the thinky-thinky part of it. They're just relying so much on their own mind and their own uh, ability to reason, which don't get me wrong, Heavenly Father wants us to use our reasoning skills and our abilities, you know, the knowledge that, or actually the intelligence that he's given us. But um, we need to hopefully make sure that we're using it in the right way, that it's leading us to the right path, remembering that that path home is very narrow and straight. And it's that way for a reason. It has to be that way. Because once we jump on that path, how narrow and straight it is, it truly keeps us on that path. Um, and that's a blessing to us. It really is. So how can we use the Book of Mormon as a liahona? We know that a liahona in the Book of Mormon is essentially a compass. In Alma chapter 13, verse 22, it teaches, It's like the voice of the Lord and to all nations. He doth sound these glad tidings among all his people, yea, even to them that are scattered, brought up on the face of the earth. Uh, these are... This is a blessing to us. And we know that the Book of Mormon has been given to gather Israel and was given during a time after great apostasy when there was a great awakening happening in this country and people were truly looking and seeking out God. They had been so long without the word of God and the heavens being open that there was just a great awakening and a great hungering. Uh, to reinvite God into their lives and upon the face of this earth. Moroni teaches us in chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, And when you shall receive these things, I would exhort you that you would ask God, the Eternal Father, in the name of Christ, if these things are not true. And if you should ask with a sincere heart, with real intent, having faith in Christ, he will manifest the truth of it unto you. By the power of the Holy Ghost. And you know what? That's what it is. The key ingredient always will be faith. And then we must act in faith. Both are very key. Faith and actions go together. And Moroni asks us to receive in our minds and hearts the realization of God's mercy from the creation until now. A realization that comes after remembering God's goodness is to the children of men. And then in verse 4, he again uses the word receive in exactly the same way. But this time, he's talking about the thing we have in our hands to read, which is the Book of Mormon. 
He's talking about the step of receiving the teachings containing that which we have read, considering them, receiving them into our minds and hearts so that we can ponder them in order to be prepared for the next step, which is to accept an answer from our Heavenly Father. So receive as used by Moroni means more than simply having the Book of Mormon come into our hands or being given the Book of Mormon or possibly allowing its words to come into our consciousness. Will we receive the teachings of the Book of Mormon in the way that Moroni intended? We ponder the things that we are receiving. This is what we need to do. It's part of the formula and ponder is a huge part of that formula to receive answers and to receive testimonies. And that is the outline in verse 4 that we prepare ourselves to accept answers from our Heavenly Father. So this year in Come Follow Me, we're doing Doctrine and Covenants, which I am so excited to be doing DNC this year. I've actually read that book cover to cover before, and this year, just reading it from the beginning again, it just hits me differently. And that is the definition of living scriptures, is that just different times in your life, you can be reading the same scriptures, and you just learn more. And it's just, I don't know, it's just like new knowledge, new information, um, new perspectives. Um on that scripture. And that's very important. I think with the things that are going on in the world today, uh, the gospel is becoming more black and white. And we know that um, the teachings from our prophets and apostles are telling us that, you know, sooner or later, we're going to come upon a time where we cannot be in the middle. We cannot be fence sitters. We're going to have to choose. And we know from the scriptures that there are only two gods to serve. Um, I wanted to share with you a little bit about how this book has blessed our lives. Um, for me personally, you know, being born and raised in the church, I never had read the Book of Mormon at all. You know, we started it many times as a family. So, you know, we read first Nephi, especially those first couple of chapters a lot. But when I returned, um, back in 2013 and my husband was baptized, um, I've read now the Book of Mormon about six times through from cover to cover, and I've really realized the perfection and God's plan. The things that were included in this book, um, you know, he gave and vision to Moroni the ability to see what we would be dealing with today. And because Moroni had that experience, he was able to include in the Book of Mormon exactly what we needed to help us. And I find that as we continue to move on, um, you know, in the future, in the timeline of this earth, that the Book of Mormon is so perfect to truly be our Leahona and guide us through this time in our lives. It has blessed my life beyond anything that I could have ever imagined. And I think that's what all things that God does is that it always blesses you perfectly and in greater abundance with greater perfection than I could have ever dreamt of myself. I'm grateful for the examples of Ammon and Alma and Alma Jr. and Abinadi. I'm grateful for the testimonies that they so boldly give that spans, uh, you know, time. It brings us so close together, and yet this happened so long ago. And yet I feel as if Moroni is protecting me, um, that he's imparting knowledge and he's guiding me in my life. 
so that I know what to do. Recently, after, you know, some things have been happening in the United States, I was writing in my journal and I really came to understand a little bit more what Mormon must have felt like at the end of his life, the sorrow and the sadness at what happened to basically his people. And uh, with everything that's going on in the world today, I just had a little bit, you know, a little bit of a taste of that, the sorrow and the sadness of all that's going on and all the wickedness and evil. And we know that in the world today that we've far surpassed Sodom and Gomorrah and whether or not we like it, I do pray for the return of the Savior and I'm ready. Um, I'm kind of tired of the way that the world is and quite frankly, it's just exhausting and it's taxing. However, I say to Father, you know, thy will be done and help me to know what work I can do for thee because I am completely devoted to him and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So the Book of Mormon has really taught me more about the Savior, I think, than what I've read in the Bible. And I'm not, you know, again, I'm not a, a scriptorian by any means, but, um, the Book of Mormon just, I don't know, there's a power in the Book of Mormon that's just greater than what it is in the Bible. And I think that harkens back to, you know, what Joseph Smith taught us is that it's the most correct book of any of the books that we have, uh, you know, being the Word of God. And the testimonies and the fierceness, the conviction of the testimonies that are shared about our Savior and Redeemer you know, Jesus Christ, even our advocate with the Father. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is everything. He's given us all. And He still continues to give us everything that we could ever need, want. He is there to help us in every, um, you know, trial and hardship that we're facing. My sister-in-law is going through a lot right now. She was recently diagnosed with breast cancer. And, um, unfortunately it's not in the early stages and, uh, you know, thankfully she's got a lot of ground of faith that she has built and acquired over her lifetime. And now she can use and wield that faith in her life as a double-edged sword to persevere and push forward with hope and love and a bright future. So earlier I mentioned I wanted to share a story that had come from one of our listeners. And she is just, you know, it's only through the Spirit of God that you can feel a closeness to people that you haven't met before, that don't live anywhere around you. And yet I feel this fondness for her. And her name is Tanisha. Um, she's just an absolute sweetheart, and she did give me permission to share her story. So we're going to start off with her story, and she talks a little bit about how she's the first of four children for her parents, and her parents were both converts to the church. Uh, her parents were introduced to the gospel when her mom was pregnant with her in 1984, and she says, as I reflect on this, I don't think that I'm grateful enough for this, for this is truly a blessing to me. 
Her mother was stubborn, and it took three sets of missionaries for her to finally decide to be baptized. And the scripture where Paul explained baptism for the dead brought her into the church. I think that's awesome. You know, a lot of people love this gospel as found in the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints because it's all about family and it's about connecting us all together. Um, and Tanisha, I just want you to know, I have a friend that it took eight sets of missionaries. And I remember reading from one of the apostles that said never to cut someone's conversion path or journey short because then it won't stick. So um, I kind of laughed when you said that it took her three sets of missionaries and that she was stubborn because some of us just need to have some more work. So Tanisha goes on to say, at a young age, my parents stopped going to church, but my mother said I often would ask to go to church. And then she got me and my little sister ready and took us to church down the road. She said the following Sunday, I told her I wanted us to go to our church, and so she took us. You know, what a great mom. She's she's not necessarily active, but she's hearing the innocence of her children wanting to draw closer to God. She says she would stop from going to church occasionally, but when the home teachers came to visit, <laughs> she lied and she said I would tell them that she was planning to lie. That's so funny. So she basically uh, would come up with an excuse to get rid of the missionaries and Tanisha would throw her mom under the bus. That's hilarious. I've actually had that experience when I've been out doing, you know, working with the missionaries and, uh, you know, a parent will come up with some excuse as we're standing at the door and you can hear the kids in the background say, huh, uh, it always cracks me up. She goes on to say that her parents came back to church and a few late years later when she was eight years old that she was baptized. She says, I was a coward and had to be immersed five times. I guess father saw that I would make several mistakes and made provision through the several immersions. That's awesome. She says, I really love church and I learned a lot, so much so that at age 10, I was asked to give a talk at a state conference and it was a great experience. Anybody who's had to participate in state conference knows how that can be. Um, you can have a lot of trepidation doing that. There's a lot of people in there, so good for you, Tanisha. I think it really speaks to Tanisha's spirit as well. She goes on to say that my parents are great examples to me. However, my father is currently inactive, but comes to church occasionally. I excelled in seminary, institute, and had several callings growing up. And at a tender age, I fell in love with Ammon in the Book of Mormon. And even today, he is my favorite person in the scripture. Through him, I learned that one can receive a testimony through hard work. For example, to gain a testimony of tithing or the word of wisdom, I had to live the principle. And you are so right. We have to work hard at keeping this gospel, keeping the commandments, and pleasing our Heavenly Father and doing what's good for us. She goes on to say, Unfortunately, I didn't have much faith in God finding a companion for me, so much so that outside of wedlock, I got pregnant with my first daughter at the age of 21. It was the hardest and darkest period of my life. I asked Heavenly Father several times to forget about me because I didn't deserve it. But he had other plans. People from all walks of life were disappointed and my mother was heartbroken. 
She taught us well. She was firm in the faith. Nevertheless, she took it upon herself to support me wholeheartedly, as my daughter's father didn't. I stayed away from church for six weeks because of the shame, but people came for me and aided me in returning. Five years later, I found myself marrying and being sealed to my daughter. As she entered the sealing room, I felt overjoyed and couldn't stop crying. One of the greatest moments of my life. That is awesome. I love the story. It just gives me goosebumps. Um, and you know, the shame that you felt, Tanisha, I, we've all felt that. I have felt that. And sometimes that can keep us from coming back. But I'm so glad that you were able to overcome that and that you had such good people in your community um, who were LDS that reached out to you and, and really supported you and encouraged you to come back into the fold. She goes on to say that unfortunately, three years later, she found herself pregnant with um, a baby from her husband. And she says, when I told him about the pregnancy, I didn't see him again. And as a result, my now five-year-old daughter doesn't know her dad. So two girls, no dad. And First Nephi one twenty says that the tender mercies are upon us all. I love your faith. She goes on to say, I cannot begin to express how merciful the Lord has been to me and my girls. He has provided for us, comforted us, and given us a beautiful life. I can't thank Father for this gospel in my life enough. I am at peace with the joy I feel despite my trials. And he works out everything for us. He provides for us and enriches our lives. I wholeheartedly await the day to be sealed to a worthy priesthood holder. But if that does not come in this life, I know he knows what's best for me. I am forever indebted to him because he wipes away my sins and blesses me unconditionally. My patriarchal blessing encourages me to read the Book of Mormon on a daily basis. And as I do, I see my life in it. Each section is a true reflection of what is happening in my life currently. And I can always relate. Every chapter that I read always matches exactly what I'm experiencing. I am grateful for this gospel that teaches me that despite what I may not see in my life, I have enough. I am currently the Temple and Family History State Consultant, and I'm happy that I can serve the Lord with gladness. I love the Temple, and I'm grateful for the knowledge and testimony I have of it. Tanisha, thank you so much for sharing. I love your faith. You're so inspiring, and you're right. They love us unconditionally. Father in Christ bless us unconditionally. And because of the divine, infinite atonement, we do not need to suffer under the burden of sins and transgressions if we will just humble ourselves and repent. I think it's so awesome that you are doing the Temple and Family History State Consultant role. I don't think that's a coincidence and that's right up your alley. And I too believe that reading the Book of Mormon daily blesses our lives. And I love how she shared that when she reads the Book of Mormon, it really speaks to her about the things that are going on now in her life. And yet this book was written so long ago. Do you see the divinity in this? Do you see the perfection, the omniscience? That Heavenly Father truly has everything planned. So what does that tell us? We can trust him. We can have confidence in him and our Savior. That we don't need to worry. 
We don't need to fear. Have you ever noticed how often we are told in the scriptures not to fear? What do you think Father is really trying to emphasize with us? I just love the Book of Mormon, and I love the promises that come from the Book of Mormon. Most recently from President Nelson, our beloved prophet, he says that as we read the Book of Mormon daily, that we will be armored up with the armor of God, and that it will help us with our the things that tempt us and influence us, that would take us away from that straight and narrow path. There are so many promises of reading the Book of Mormon and living its teachings and principles principles and really laying hold upon the word, really laying hold upon the witnesses that are shared of Jesus Christ in the Book of Mormon. I am so grateful for this book. I'm grateful for the gospel. I'm grateful to live during this time and dispensation where I could be here on earth, where, you know, it's the ongoing restoration of the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am grateful for our prophet and apostles who lead us and love us and guide us and teach us. I am grateful for a gospel that gives us the opportunity to get to know one another, to reach out beyond our little worlds and have these relationships that I truly believe we build for an eternity. I am grateful for the blessings that have trickled down in my family to my children um, to the, the women that they've chosen to be with, to my husband, and also to the rest of my family. I am grateful to have all of these truths and knowledge. And as Brigham Young says, I have a fire in my bones for the gospel. I have a fire in my bones for the gospel too. And my wish for each and every one of you that's listening is that you too have a fire in your bones for the gospel. Thank you so much for joining us this week. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, You know, my heart's always in the right place. I am not this super, you know, scriptorian type of person. I just know that Heavenly Father's teachings, the success of His plan of salvation comes by small and simple means. And I consider myself to be small and simple means. I really do. But I know that I have great faith. And my desire is always to reach out to you, to help you, to edify, to uplift, to nourish that ground that you've acquired of faith and testimony. Remember, do not relinquish one inch of that ground. Please, if you have doubts, go to the Lord, stick to the simple formula, go back to the basics and find the answers in the good books, in the good sources. Um, We must stick to the sources that are verified and valid, and that's always going to be the scriptures, our apostles and prophets, and the other many resources that God has provided us during this time on earth. You guys stay safe, stay healthy. There's a lot going on in the world. I pray for the world all the time. I do feel that we are a family and just know that my heart goes out to you and I'm so grateful for this opportunity. Um, You guys just take care of one another and as always, remember to be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. 
I'm going to close with a song that is the Book of Mormon stories. We started this with the verses, but I found this song. This guy sounds like Sting, and he did a great job. So enjoy. Have a wonderful week. God bless and much love to you. Just